Marshall, can you open us in prayer this morning? Amen. Well, if you look on the uh, bulletin there, there's some meetings or some uh, announcements there. Just a reminder, today, um, following service, we will have our fellowship meal and business meeting. Everyone's welcome to join us. Uh, usually plenty of food, um, good fellowship, so you're more than welcome to join us. Um, I believe um, if everybody's healthy, there will be a Awanas this week. Lord willing, everybody be healthy. Um, I think that's pretty much it for announcements. Anyone have anything that I've missed? Okay, having none, sharing of praises this morning. Any praises this morning? <laughs> Good. Yeah. All right. Great. Great to have you, Bruce. Other praises. All right. Well, a couple praises. Uh, one, I praise God that we have J W and Janelle with us today. Um, Jay uh, stepped up. I was, as you see in the bulletin, I was supposed to preach this Sunday, but uh, that didn't work out. And Lord um, had Jay standing there, ready to fill in. So we're. Especially want to welcome you and thank you for being here today. I look forward to hearing what God's put on your heart. Um, I also want to praise God for answered prayer um, and healing. Um, I don't know where to begin. He is a great God and he does so much and we don't always know how he's working. Or, But uh, as you know, I was supposed to go in for one-day procedure, and uh, well, it only took one day, but I was there a little longer. Um, thank God that uh, he provided the surgeons uh, and the staff there to help in my recovery and uh, through the whole procedure, but as well, I thank uh, him for Angie. She has bared the brunt of the load while I could just lay on my back, so uh, and she will be doing that for some time, so thank God for her, and I thank you for your prayers as well, and uh, just the answer prayer. So, thank you. Any other praises? All right, Kelly. Well, I just want to mention, too, I am very grateful for Natalie. Penny isn't feeling well this morning, and, and uh, she is playing without much notice. We have to change a couple of songs 
which we'll sing out of the master chorus. Um, but other than that, we'll be worshiping the Lord. Praise him for that. The uh, call to worship is Psalm 61, and then we will read that and pray. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I do praise you for you listen to our prayer and you answer our prayers. And Lord, as, as David prayed, when his heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than you, than I. And you are that rock and you're a great God, a mighty God. We come to you this morning and there's many things that may be on our mind and our hearts. And I just pray, Lord, that in this time of worship, that you will be glorified and the things of the world won't distract us from worshiping you and praising you as you deserve. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that you would as well speak to our hearts and encourage us. Lord, we're thankful and grateful for this church body. And I pray that um, you would help us to continue to be one as you and the Father are one. And I pray we'd glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as I mentioned, um, if you take your master course, we're going to have to change a couple of songs. So, Wayne, the only song that we will sing on the screen will be Our God Reigns. That's the last one. But the first song, if you take your master course and stand if you're able, is number 15. There is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, Thank you, my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, pray. Lamb of God, Messiah, oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, oh, my Father, 
Son, and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. When I stand in glory, I will see his face. There I'll serve my King forever in that holy place. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Now turn to page 64, 64. I will enter his gates. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is a day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. Now, Wayne, if you could get Our God Reigns up. There we go. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, our God reigns, our God reigns. And we took no account of him, yet now he reigns with the Most High. Our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, our 
came with grace and majesty. He is alive. He is alive. God loves us so. See here his hands, his feet, his side. Yes, we know. He is alive. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. Jeremiah 18, we'll be going through verse 13 through 23. Jeremiah chapter 18, 13 through 23. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry in the cold, flow, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Then they said, Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue. And let us not pay attention to any of his words. Hear me, O God, and listen to the voice of my adversaries. Should good be repaid with evil, yet they have dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore deliver up their children to famine. Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become widowless and ch- or child- childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youths be struck down by the sword in battle. May a cry be heard from their houses when you bring the plunderer suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and laid snares for my feet. Yet you, O Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. Forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. If you would stand and take your hymnal, turn to page 118, 118. Ah. Uh-huh. 
On Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch our keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Taste, taste to bring him lot, the babe, the son of Mary. What lies he in such mean estate, where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of man. Shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Now turn to page 229. All praise to thee, 229. All praise to thee, for thou, O King divine, dost yield the glory that of right was thine. might shine. Alleluia. Alleluia. Thou camest to us in lowliness of thought. By thee the outcast and the poor were sought. God's salvation wrought. Alleluia. Alleluia. Let this mind be in us which was in thee, 
servant that we might be free. Humbling thyself to death on Calvary. Testament reading this morning is Matthew 27, 57 through 61. Matthew 27, 57 through 61. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Our ushers, come forward, please. Charlie, would you pray for our offering? Father, I thank you again for this day that we're able to come here and worship you. We do thank you for your word. Just uh, bless the speaker this morning. Open our hearts and our, our minds to your word. And we pray for each day that we would worship you and be glorified you in all things that we do. And thank you for the speaker this morning.
Well, let me say thank you, Kelly, for inviting me to come. And in many ways, for me, standing here in this pulpit is like being welcomed home. But you know, the truth is we're not home yet, are we? But one day, we'll look upon the Lord and we will see His face and worship Him for all eternity. Let's pray together. Father, here in this place, we gather to worship You, to give You praise, to give You honor, to recognize Your grace in our lives afresh. For Father, it is all of grace, your marvelous, wonderful grace, that we are able to gather here and that we are able to worship you. And I pray, Father, today, as we look at the subject that's before us, I I pray, Father, that our worship would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have your bulletins, I guess you, I assume you do, and I notice on the back, uh, your pastor has uh, left room to uh, make some notes. I want to encourage you, whether you 
make notes of the message this morning or not, but I do want to encourage you uh, to write something down that I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Quite a while back, uh, God laid this message on my heart. This is a message that I began to meditate upon, to contemplate, is this what God really wanted me to speak about? I was preaching in another church, and after I meditated on this and thought more about it, I listened to a sermon, and this is what I want you to make a note of, a sermon by R.C. Sproul entitled, The Glory of God. The Glory of God. Now, if you get on YouTube, you can find that message. This was a sermon that he preached during the 2003 National Legionnaire Conference. But after I listened to that message, it was with deep conviction that I could not preach on this subject. As much as God was laying it on my heart, on my mind, and nothing else. And so I shared my concern with some friends, asked them to pray for me. And one friend who was a tremendous encourager to me over the years, I shared this with. And he texted me this response. Be honest about your failure. What God is convicting you of will have an impact on the body. If you are struggling, more than likely everyone else is too. I'll be praying for you. Don't give up on this message. And with those words of encouragement, was enough that, and the Spirit's prompting not to give up. We're going to look at the subject this morning of God's glory in our worship of Him. God's glory in our worship of Him. We'll be looking at a number of passages, the first one in our text that is in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to focus on verses 27 through 29. But I want to read the totality of this um, to help our understanding a little better of the passage beginning in verse 23, down through 33. So 1 Chronicles 16, beginning reading in verse 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. 
He also is to be feared above all gods. For our God, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in holy array. Tremble before him all the earth. Indeed, the world is firmly established and will not be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all its all it contains, let the fields exult and all that is in it, then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Now these verses 8 through 36, uh, we didn't read beginning with verse 8, but these verses in, beginning in verse 8, down through 36, comprise a song that was to be sung by Asaph and the brethren on the day when they brought the the, um, ark into the temple of Jerusalem, into the entrance. It's a special hymn prepared for a very uh, special occasion. We find in Psalm Psalm 96, and you can turn there if you want or just make note of it. But Psalm 96 and verse 23 through 33, what Spurgeon called the great missionary hymn. And it refers back to this right here. As we think of this subject this morning, sincere recognition of God's glory gives birth to sincere worship that's acceptable to God. Two major objectives I want to try to set forth this morning. The first one is God's glory. And the second one is our worship and our worship of Him. God's glory and our worship of Him. So I want to ask you, first of all, why did God save you? I want you to think about that. Why did God save you? as an individual. Have you thought of that before? Of all the people in the world, why did God save you? Who are you? That God should show you grace and mercy 
Who are you? Why did God awaken you from the darkness of sin, from that deep depravity where you were dead in your trespasses and sins? Why did God awaken you to the light of the gospel? Sobering questions, aren't they? Let me share with you a statement of Sinclair Ferguson's who said, Conversion and spiritual growth are great blessings that occur as the result of an awakening. But these are not the ultimate ends for which God brings regeneration and renewal to the world and His church. God's final end in awakening, as in all that He does, is to advance His own glory. Why did God save you? To advance His own glory. There was nothing in you worth saving. A sinner. But God saved you. Awakened you. Not to better your life not to bless you with provisions, etc. He awakened you primarily for the advancement of His glory. In Keech's catechism, Benjamin Keech's catechism, it's commonly known as the Baptist catechism, second question is, what is the chief end of man? And some of you may already know the answer to that. Chief end of man, as Keith states in the Catechism, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is our chief end. Our chief purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. Enjoy Him forever. Michael Reeves made this statement. The core of Christianity is the joyful, laden pursuit of the glory of God. That's the joy of Christianity. A joy-laden pursuit of the glory of God. Remember, sincere recognition of God's glory gives birth to sincere worship that is acceptable to God. First major objective, God's glory. Now, I don't know who this quote is from. I, I may have missed the name when I wrote this down. I didn't get it wherever I found it. I just don't know. So it's an unknown quote. 
but I want you to listen to it. We're going to look at some scriptures that are within this quote. The most significant use of the ideas, ideas of glory and majesty is their application to God. In this regard, it is sometimes stated that God's glory is the external manifestation of His being. God's glory is something that appears. Now look over in Exodus if you'd like to follow along or maybe just write this down. Exodus chapter 16, verse 10. I have to look down a little bit. My bifocals don't do as well as they used to. Exodus 16, verse 10. Remember, the, God's glory is manifested sometimes in, his, in what appears. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, Thus may the Lord... What did I say? 16. See, my bifocals just are not quite getting it here. I need them old trifocals back. 16 verse 10. Okay. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. So here's an example of God's glory appearing in the cloud. It was visible. Now, to the extent of its visibility, one might say, well, it was in a cloud. But yet it appeared in that state. Then also we see in Isaiah 40, verse 5, back over in Isaiah 40, verse that it is revealed. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. And then lastly, in Numbers 14, 22, Numbers 14, verse 22. We see here that it can be seen. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet, have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice all the men who have seen my glory. There is also a fundamental, this, this individual in this quote says, there is also a more fundamental sense in which God has glory prior 
to any external manifestation. An important passage in this is Exodus 33. So let's look back at that. Exodus 33, verse 18. And reading down a little farther. Exodus 33, starting in verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there in the rock. And isn't it a wonderful hymn that we have that refers to this? And it will come about, while my glory is passing by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Aspects of God's nature that are manifested, revealed to Moses. He revealed his name, the Lord, Yahweh, He revealed his name to Moses. He revealed his back to Moses. All of his goodness passed before Moses. But God's face was never seen by Moses, which speaks of a manifestation of God's glory that is before, that has always existed. He's the only true God. Yahweh, the Lord, He is the only true God. There is no other. Of all the so-called gods in this world, there is, it. There is no other God. We, we see this in our text. In 1 Chronicles 16, in verse 25, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be pleased, He also is to be feared above all gods. There is no other God except the Lord, except Yahweh. He And He alone is God. He's the Creator of the world. Yahweh, the Lord, He created all of the world, all of the universe, everything that is. 
He is the creator. And not only is he the creator, he preserves it all. He never sat back and just went boof and had everything come into existence and sat back on a stool and said, now let's see what happens. He is the preserver of it all. He is the sustainer of all of it, of all of his creation. And he is the redeemer. He himself is the redeemer. He's your redeemer. You have no other redeemer. About, apart from God, apart from His Son, the Lord Jesus, who apart from the Holy Spirit working in your life, awakening you, drawing you to the Christ, causing you to be born again, that you might understand the gospel and giving you the gift of repentance with sorrow and granting you faith to believe. He's your Redeemer. He's your sanctifier. He's the one who has moved you since that day, however long ago it might have been since that day, bringing your life along the way, causing you to become more holy unto Him. More acceptable unto Him. It's been a long journey. And for some of it's some of it's, it's, it's been not an easy journey, a journey of sanctification. But God is doing that. His character, it's absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. Deuteronomy 32, uh, I'm just going to read it. You can write it down if you want. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. And God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. All His ways. They're perfect. And Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is imperfect. If you want to go to heaven... You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But the dilemma that you know well is before us is, how can this be? I am a sinner. I am a sinner. There's sin in my life. And, and even though I've been saved in using that word, even though I've been saved, even though I've repented of my sin, even though I've believed and trusted in Christ, I still sin. I still sin. I not only sin in my mind, I sin still in many of my actions. And I know it's wrong. And God convicts me of it. And sometimes we just give in to that, thinking, well, that's just me, I'm a sinner. So if we're to be perfect, 
How does that, how does that happen? Well, I could preach a long time just on that. But very simply, it's by the blood of Christ. His blood being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can make us whiter than snow. Can make us perfect. You may not see it in your eyes. But when God looks at you and Jesus says, they've been washed in my blood, Father. They're mine. I died for them. Jesus, all of his perfection is yours. His marvelous works. His marvelous works. When we think of praising Him, of His glory, think of His marvelous works. They cause wonder and astonishment. Remember in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, how, how uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 9 through 11 um, they were amazed. People were amazed at what was going on and the things that Jesus was doing. How men who were crippled and never been able to walk got up and walked. How blind people could see that have never seen. They were amazed at the marvelous works of Jesus. Revelation 15, verse 2 and 4 read like this. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. And they sang the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. And your righteous acts have been revealed. He is the radiant light. Psalm 76, 4. You are radiant with light, the psalmist says. Radiant with light, more majesty than mountains rich with game. That's God. That's our God. Are you beginning to try to grasp a little bit of His glory? 
When I begin to first think about it, the glory of God, how do you explain it? How do you grasp it? It's a difficult thing. The glory of God, His clothes, we read in Mark, they observed the clothes of Jesus who was God in the flesh at His transfiguration, said His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Now as I get ready to go to this next section and and we're moving on, I want you to listen to Sproul's statement about this. He said, it's hard for us to understand exactly what God's glory may look like. Isn't that true? But the various descriptions of it in Scripture seem to indicate that it will be the most beautiful sight we experience. All of the goodness and beauty we see in the present will be nothing in compared to the radiant glory of God. How beautiful the skies are in western Kansas, from from horizon to horizon. The clouds that float through the skies, how beautiful they are to see a thunderstorm coming from the other, other side and moving across. To see a front, a whole front. We see, the, we see it coming toward us. And though not beautiful, we know, but the tornadoes, we can see them out here in the daytime. The dust storm that wasn't too long ago. All of the splendor of the sky. The wheat fields and how they, that waving of amber grain as the song sings about and the, the beauty of them as the, as the wind blows across that golden wheat. How beautiful that is. The streams and the mountains that are hidden away and maybe it's, though maybe somebody has seen them, when we first seen them, see them, it almost feels like no one else has seen them these before. How beautiful they are. The majesty of the mountains. We could go on and on and thinking of all the beautiful things that we have seen and yet to see on this earth, but they do not even compare to the glory of God. Our second major objective, our worship, our worship of Him. John Piper commented with this statement, the inner essence of worship is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind. When the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly valuing God. Now I know there's... Various thoughts on the heart, the physical heart and things. But I had someone share me with me not long ago, and I, I wish I'd have brought that article and I could give you more information on it. But 
saying that he had done some reading about the heart, and some of you, some of you may already know this, but I had never heard this. The heart has neurons around it that are the same neurons that are in the brain. Now, I didn't know that. And this was a, from a medical study, a paper, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the, the heart and the brain are the same. Don't misunderstand me with that. But there's some connection between the heart and our brains, our minds. Because of these neurons that are the same. And when we think about the emotion, we oh, my heart is sad. I have a broken heart. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't even have thrown that out there. But when Piper said, the inner essence of worship is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind, when the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly understanding God. It seems there may be some connection. A.W. Pink said this, Worship is a redeemed heart occupied with God, expressing itself in adoration and thanksgiving. And then I would fail if I didn't quote my pastor's favorite theologian, A.W. Tozer, who said, True worship is to be so personal and hopeless in love with God that the idea of a transfer of affection never even remotely exists. Well, our text tells us in 1 Chronicles 16.29 that God is entitled your worship. He is due your worship. If there's anything you think and have ever thought, what do I owe God for all that He's done for me, for the grace that He's shown to me? I'm going to tell you what it is. His worship. True worship. Worshiping Him in all of His glory. Your life was created by Him. Everything about you, everything you know was created by Him. It's due to God. He's entitled to your worship. As the text says here, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Give Him the glory. It all belongs to Him. All life is preserved by Him. You were preserved by Him. You've been preserved by Him. How many times have you thought, man, it's a wonder I didn't get killed. It's a wonder this didn't happen or that didn't happen. But God has preserved your life to this point. You've been preserved by Him. You are sustained by Him. Your ability to be here this very day. He has sustained you, enabled you to be here. Your spiritual, the, the rung of a spiritual ladder that you may be on, 
He has sustained you. He has sanctified you that you might be there. Then we think about how we've been redeemed. And I just, I just, I don't know, maybe for the sake of time, I shouldn't read this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Mark it down and read that passage. And note how many times, I'm just going to start it out. Blessed be the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. Think of how many times as you read through these verses, you see the word your or you. Yes, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to believers in Ephesus. But, Paul, but the Holy Spirit uses these letters of Paul and God is using them to speak to us also. So look at how many times in that you read the word you and then at the end of that, it's all to the praise of His glory. You can't give God more than He deserves. He deserves something which is due Him and no other being in the universe can has it due them. And that's worship. Worship. Adoration. So how do you give God what He deserves? How do you do it? I think first you have to submit to His authority. You have to acknowledge that He is God. You don't have anything to boast about in anything in your life. You can be proud of your children, but you understand what I'm saying when I'm talking about boasting. There's, in your spiritual life, there is nothing you can boast about. Nothing. It's all of God. Submitting to His authority, presenting your gifts, and what are these gifts? And yes, a portion of what God has blessed us with through, through offerings, uh, uh, gifts to others, uh, benevolence to others. But ultimately, what is that gift that we're talking about? It's presenting ourselves. Romans 12.1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Is your life a living sacrifice unto God? Every area of your life. Is your worship of God sincere? How sincere is it? Would you rate it that it's sincere enough? Are you an aroma of Christ unto God? Are you redolent of the fragrance of Christ? Are you diffusing the fragrance of Christ in your life? Revelation 29 or 
22.9. This is the last passage I'm going to read, just this verse. Revelation 22, verse 9. We find here, John, in verse 80, says, I, John, am one am the one who heard and saw all these things. And I've heard and saw, and I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And the angel said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. Worship God. When you recognize God's glory, as much as you can grasp it and understand it, you will rightly begin to worship Him. You won't come here into this place the same again. You won't worship Him out on that proverbial tractor the same again. You won't worship Him in the hunting woods the same again. You won't worship Him driving down the road in your car alone The same again. You won't worship Him with your family the same again when you recognize the best that you can understand God's glory. And when you rightly worship God, your worship is acceptable to God. Can people gather together and worship God? Can their worship not be acceptable to God? I think so. That's a whole nother sermon there. But I think so. We know that with Cain and Abel and the sacrifices that they made and other examples. So I ask yourself, are you Are you as an individual, are you that sweet savor unto God? Is your life then unto God? Have you repented of sin in your life, the hidden sin in your life? Are you a sweet savor unto Him? Are you the stench of a dunghill unto God? Other people may look at you and think, oh, they're a wonderful person, they're a wonderful Christian man, wonderful Christian woman and uh, admire you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But indeed, is your life a sweet savor unto God? Remember, sincere recognition of God's glory gives birth to sincere worship that's acceptable to God. And when you genuinely worship God, You're motivated by the love of Christ and the grace that's been shown to you. You're motivated to evangelize.
lives, to share the gospel with others. When's the last time, I ask you, when is the last time you proclaimed verbally the gospel to someone? When we genuinely worship God, we're motivated to edify believers. Conversations with believers, becoming parts of their lives, encouraging them, equipping believers for service, mentoring someone, taking them alongside you, helping them in, in, in their process of growing in Christ, of being sanctified mm-hmm. into the Lord. Helping a believer. So, the question that I'm going to leave you with is this. I've asked you some other questions, but ultimately, are you genuinely worshiping God? Let's pray. Father, I, I know that there's not a one of us in this room, and I will be at the top of the list, but can say we fully comprehend and we understand your glory. For no man has truly seen your glory. But Father, I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us with the glimpse, help us with the anticipation that's, that's a hope, that's a solid thing that we have a home in glory. And one day we'll be around the throne and singing holy, holy, holy is the Lamb for all eternity. We will be face to face with Jesus. We will be face to face with all of your glory. But until then, Lord, that we might examine our lives more fully. Is our life a sweet savor to you? Are we truly worshiping you when we gather in this place as individuals, as a church? Are you pleased with our worship of you? In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd stand, um, take your hymnal. Our closing hymn is 291.
Heavenly Father, we praise you, and we acknowledge your greatness, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes this week as we live our life and as we go about our work and whatever we do to to just see your glory. And Lord, I pray that, that you would work as such a work in our lives that we would worship you, that we could be a true fragrance, Lord, and and just our lives would would uh, shine Jesus about, Lord. We thank you for what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. 